You're listening to the SLP Live edition of the Speechy Side Up podcast, and today I'm joined by vocalist, speech-language pathologist, and singing voice specialist, Christy Knickerbocker. Before we get started, though, let's go over the learning outcomes for this course. This episode is structured a little differently than some of my previous episodes because it is available for ASHA CEUs. So by the end of this episode, you should be able to describe three different types of vocal rehabilitation techniques, three resources for learning more about best practices in evaluating voice disorders, and identify and describe three resources for learning more about best practices when providing voice rehabilitation. Before we dive into this episode, though, I do have financial and non-financial disclosures to share. I am the owner of Speechy Side Up. I'm also a member of ASHA Special Interest Group 12, and I receive royalties from Speech Therapy PD and Boys Town Press. Also, Christy Knickerbocker has the following relevant financial relationships to disclose. She is the owner of A Tempo Voice Center and receives royalties from Uvo Straw, Dickie's Medical Scrubs, and MedBridge. She has no non-financial relationships to disclose. So just to give you an idea of how this episode will run today, we're going to start off with some introductions and backgrounds for the first five minutes. Then for the next 15 minutes, we will describe the different types of vocal rehabilitation techniques. Then we'll spend another 15 minutes discussing the different resources that are available for learning more about best practices in evaluating voice disorders. And then we'll spend another 15 minutes describing the different resources that are available for learning more about the best practices when providing voice rehabilitation. And then the last 10 minutes we'll spend with a conclusion and wrap up. So stay on for that if you are interested in the live Q&A. Now, if you're listening to the podcast version of this, there is no live Q&A, but feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or other social media if you have any questions, or you can submit your questions to info at slplive.com. Now that we have all of the housekeeping taken care of, let's dive into this episode. I know you're going to just love hearing all of Christy's tips and tricks, and this will conclude SLP Live. This is the very last course, so I really hope that you guys have enjoyed this week and um, enjoy this episode. You're listening to the Speechy Side Up podcast. This podcast will cover the flip side of traditional speech and language therapy so you get inspired and learn from experts in the field. Here is your host, author, AAC specialist, and matcha tea lover, Vanita Litvak. She and her guests are serving up some informative and fun topics in Speechy Side Up. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. You can also follow along on Instagram at Speechy Side Up. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today I'm speaking with vocalist, speech language pathologist, and singing specialist Christy Knickerbocker. Christy is the owner of A Tempo Voice Center in the Dallas Fort Worth area, where she treats a variety of disorders affecting the voice. Christy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Vanita. I'm so excited to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here as well. And I was reading how you became an SLP and specialized in voice on your blog. And I think the listeners will enjoy that story as well. So tell us about who you are, what you do today, and how you got there. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I am Christy. I run a private practice in Fort Worth called Autempo Voice Center. And this kind of started, I, I didn't grow up and know this is exactly what I wanted to do for a living. Um, but looking back now, I'm super fulfilled doing this and I can't see myself doing anything else. So when I was in middle school and high school, I, I have been a singer musician my entire life. And when I was younger, I wrote a lot of songs. I did a lot of theater, um, musical theater, did some leading roles in productions like that. And so when it came time to decide what I wanted to do for college, my dad and my mom sat me down and I remember this vividly, we were on the back porch um, and they're like, what do you want to do for college? And I'm I'm like, I want to sing, like I want to do music. And they're like, okay, but what do you want to do for college? (laughs) And I said, "Um, 
I said, well, you know, what else is there? And, and I, I definitely toyed with like pre-med. So being a physician at one point. Um, but ultimately I think I decided that I, I really wanted to pursue, you know, vocal training. So they were okay with that, bless their hearts. Um, and so I went to TCU, I ended up getting a scholarship for voice for vocal performance. Um, and I went there and right before, right after my audition, Right before I graduated my senior year of high school, I had a cyst on my left vocal cord pop up. And I knew this because I was doing prep for a singing competition and something was up with my voice and something wasn't right. And I knew that I could sing certain pitches, but it's like they weren't coming out correctly. And so I went to competition. I sang the piece. I had... (laughs) is so funny. I, I had figured out that if I pushed on my larynx to like pushed it to one side, I could sing fine. Wow. <laughs> so, so I'm up, I'm up there singing, like pressing against my neck and the <laughs> judge is like, miss, why are you doing that? You know? And, and I said, well, my voice sounds weird if I don't do that. And she said, how long has that been happening? And, and then she made me sing without holding the throat. And I was just completely embarrassed because um, I sounded horrible. And she said, you need to go see an ENT, so an ear, nose, throat physician, which was what I was afraid she would say. I was frightened. It's all get out to go. So I went. It was a cyst. Um, I had a speech pathologist um, examine me as well. Ended up going the surgery route, had voice therapy before and after the surgery, and then did continue on at school to major in vocal performance initially. But it's like you're an injured athlete. And so I wasn't able to... Um, completely catch up with people my age who had gotten to a skill level. It's like I had to start all over and I was basically singing the equivalent of nursery rhymes for my, my pieces um, where everybody was singing a a very challenging aria, um, which is like a, it's a classical song. um, If you don't know what that is. Uh, And they're just, they're hard. They're challenging. It's that opera. It's that classical style of singing. So needless to say, my voice teacher told me I need to decide on another career path. Much to my, you know, upset. I was so distraught again. Here we are again. I'm like, Oh my God, why? Um, Best thing she could have done for me though. You know, I, I thought, long and hard and said, well, I really liked my speech pathologist. I think she was awesome. And she helped me and she knew about music. So she knew about singing, which was my fear going in. I was like, speech pathologist. I speak fine. I was that person. (laughs) Um, And so I was like, I want to be the one who can sing, who knows what it's like to be a patient. This will be a path. And so I changed majors and I never looked back. So just, I knew immediately I wanted to specialize in voice and kind of went from there. So the, the business name, a tempo is a musical term. It means that you've started the song in a certain rhythm, a certain pace of the song, the beat, if you will, um, how fast it's going, the tempo is what you call it. And then somewhere in the song, it deviates. You either go slower or faster for more emphasis. And then the musical notation so like sheet music is like a, a roadmap and it tells you what to do to play this song, what notes, and then in what rhythm. And if you have the term tempo in the sheet music, it tells the player, the musician to go back to the original tempo. So where the song began. So I thought it was only fitting <laughs> to name the company tempo, even though I knew it would be a weird name. And now it doesn't seem weird at all because people talk about Autempo. And it's, it's funny to me that I have this laundry list of names. What can my business be? Um, and that's the one I ended up picking. So, yeah. I love that story. And I, it's great that you loved your SLP and that was kind of what inspired you to get into the field. Do you still know her or is it a him? I don't know if you said if it's it was a her. Yeah, okay. no, I, I do. She actually works at UT Southwestern in Dallas. Um, and I actually send patients to her all the time. So oh, it's, um, it's great. She's fabulous. And I just can only imagine, you know, so much better than she was when I saw her 12 years ago. So, you know, um, as far as like clinically, um, you just, you learn so much the more you do it. So shout out to her and, and everything that she inspired me to do and to be. Yeah. That's amazing. So in terms of the population that you serve, what would you say is like the general makeup, maybe singers versus like patients with voice disorders? Well, they probably all have some type of voice disorder, but what, how, what percentage are singers? 
So it's funny you ask that because if I were to have a question on my patient, like my case history, I would say, you know, are you a singer? If people don't have a recording contract, they won't check that they're a singer. You're right. <laughs> but maybe they're, they sing. Like, like I see tons of people, I see plenty of people with recording contracts, but I see plenty of people who, you know, sing in church and maybe they're the music leader or maybe they teach music therapy and they're singing in every single session with the kids and adults that they see for that. So as far as people on my caseload who um, have a recording contract, you know, it's anywhere from like four to 7%, sometimes 10, depending on the month. Um, but people that sing maybe 40%, you know, we see a lot of people who sing for a living, even though it's not their main source of income. I see a good deal of gender spectrum voices as well. So, um, mostly male to female. Sometimes we get gender neutral and every once in a while also we'll get, um, feminine to masculine for that. And what am I missing? Oh, lesions. So like the, the huge grouping is, is vocal nodules, vocal polyps, vocal granulomas, all kinds of awesome. I think it's awesome. Um, just pathology. So things you can actually look at that are impacting. Oh, and Boeing. I didn't think about that. Um, we see a lot of presbyloryngeus. So age related vocal fold Boeing that seems to impact quality of life a great deal. And so it's a good thing that we're um, able to offer conservative approaches that are actually very effective for people who have age-related voice changes. Wow, that's amazing. So since you see all of those different types of patients, what types of voice therapy do you provide? So we provide different types. Um, behavioral, you can categorize them in behavioral and physiological voice therapy. So when I was in school, it was always so, like I knew I wanted to do voice, but it was confusing to me. I always thought it's, it should be very simple, right? Because they would say that, the teachers, it's simple. Mm -hmm. And then they would say, but there's so many options. And so <laughs> right. I'd be like, mine is blown. I, I, I'm a very visual learner. Um, how do you? <laughs> and so trying to make it easy, it's behavioral or it's physiological, like those are the types. And so your behavioral is your trying to change how someone is creating voice. So that would be resonant voice therapy, the humming. Okay, so you're, you think Kitty Verlini Abbott, um, you think Joe Stemple, stretch and flow. So like flow voice, there is a Jackie Garner Schmidt and Kitty grouping uh, protocol, protocol for that. And then there's also the, the Casper Stone confidential flow as well, stretch and flow, sorry. And then semi-occluded vocal tract exercises. So that is your straw phonation, your lip trills, your tongue trills, your cup phonation, your wave in a cave. And what's confusing is that resonant voice therapy, so humming, is actually a type of semi-occluded vocal tract exercise. So I guess that's where the confusion comes in. It's like, it's kind of both, but the humming actually has protocols that have been researched more. And then, you know, Ingo Tietze has done a lot of, of research about the importance of semi-occluded vocal tract exercises and then how you're actually implementing those into therapy, the science behind them. So we thank him for that as well. For the physiological, um, you have approaches like vocal function exercises, which is Joe Stemple it's an exercise regimen. So you're doing things in a safe way vocally, but you're really taxing the person's system, expecting changes in the three subsystems of voice, which are respiration, phonation, so vocal cord vibration, and resonance. So the, the cavities, the throat, the mouth, the nose, where that sound is bouncing off um, and being amplified and, and shaped. And then you have, we have LSVT, Speak Out, um, and then new on the horizon is something called Forte, P-H-O-R-T-E. And actually, that's been uh, shown to treat presbyloryngus, so what I was just talking about earlier. And then um, Edie Hapner and Aaron Ziegler are currently doing a study right now showing really promising numbers for treating unilateral, so one-sided, vocal cord paralysis with the forte approach. So that seemed like a mouthful of the things that we offer, but ultimately it's behavioral 
or physiological. And then with both, we're, we're adding vocal hygiene, you know, hydration, phonotrauma prevention, you know, making sure that we're cutting down on throat clears and, and making sure we're educating people about their anatomy. Um, we, our ultimate goal at the clinic is to rebalance the vocal subsystems in the way the patient is stimulable for. So you'll never hear me saying, you have a goal of completing resonant voice therapy sessions one through eight. The goal will always be patient A will improve coordination of vocal subsystems, and then we will choose session to session. It changes sometimes, um, session to session, which approach we will use. Okay. So, and you might've stated this, forgive me for my naive. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. It's so good. Subject, you know, my specialty is definitely AAC and I'm so far removed from voice. So you have the behavioral and the physiological approach. Mm-hmm. How do you determine which one you're going to go or do they both kind of go hand in hand? That's a great question. And don't ask me about AAC. <laughs> don't do it. Um, don't. I will tell you the wrong thing. Um, that's a great question. So I will choose based on the need of the patient. So for somebody who has, let's just give some case examples. Maybe they have vocal fold nodules. All right. So if they have that, I'm going to try and offload their tension, likely with behavioral voice therapy. And then once we improve the nodules, I might implement a physiological approach, like potentially vocal function sorry, vocal function exercises. Um, But if a person has vocal cord bowing, I might go ahead right away and implement the physiological voice therapy with either, you know, one one or two approaches um, for that. And if I feel the patient has a potential for hyperfunction, like maybe they're getting loud, but they're straining to be loud, I'm going to work in some behavioral component to it, but maybe it's not going to be the main thing we're doing. Okay. Is that, is that a good answer? Does that make sense? No, that definitely makes sense. And it's funny because the more we talk about this, the more the, the concepts are coming back to me. I remember <laughs> your nightmares. <laughs> yeah, I actually really enjoyed it, but you know, our field is just so vast. You can, you take it all in so you can pass the practice and then you kind of start to narrow down as you're out in the field more. There yeah. was one like tool. I think it was called like ESPT, the expiratory strength muscle training. I'm probably not saying it correctly. Are you familiar with that at all? Yeah. It's called the EMST 150. I think there that's what we go. Yeah. I think it was created by one of my professors, uh, Dr. So Ruddy. Cool. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So that's about the extent of my knowledge in terms of voice disorders, but yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, we actually use that. I will recommend that pretty frequently, um, depending on, again, depending on the problem, um, but then also for my dysphagia patients as well, because there's been some research on, around that area too. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, in, you know, working with an ENT, is a referral required before a patient can be seen for voice therapy? So that's a tricky one, be- and I'll talk about why in a second. Absolutely. is is my answer. It's about seeing what's going on so that we don't waste the patient's time, money, frustrate them or the parents if it's a pediatric patient. If you're seeing a person for voice therapy, you as the clinician need to know why they sound the way they do. And the best way to do that is to get an instrumental exam. And so you have options. You can send them to an ENT who can do a flexible endoscopy at the very least, which is a flexible scope that goes in the nose. They can use their eye or a camera to look at the vocal cords moving in like what we call gross motor movement. So they can see opening and closing, um, abduction, opening and adduction, closing. And if you can see with that, that at least gives you a visual to kind of know more about what you're working with. Ideally, We would want something called a video stroboscopy, which is a special light that you attach to either the flex scope through the nose or a rigid scope that goes on the tongue. And that light allows us to see in somewhat of a slow motion. So it takes a picture at the different parts of the vibratory cycle. And it actually allows us to see a, a simulated slow motion to better assess the vibratory dynamics, which is, is a fancy way to say how the vocal cords are moving when they're making sound. Okay. And there's a couple things you would, you would look at very specifically with that exam. Um, but 
with either exam, I mean, yes, the video stroboscopy is more sensitive. Um, and there was even a study, I want to say, I want to say the, the wrong year. Um, it was recent. It's on my blog though. Um, the, the blog title is diagnoses are changed. There must be something in the water. So that blog talks about and has a link to this study, but it talks about after a, a regular ENT exam. So a flexible endoscopy, either with the eye or the camera, diagnoses get changed 51% of the time after they go get a video stroboscopy. So the ENT is saying one thing and how it happens is like, maybe it's mucus. They see like, Oh, it's vocal nodules and it's mucus, but they're not sure you get a much better picture with the video stroboscopy and it's not nodules at all. That happens so frequently for me because I have video stroboscopy at, at the clinic and and we're seeing a lot of times, you know, patients who have had, you know, a flexible endoscopy before. Um, so what I had kind of touched on earlier was why it's hard to get an ENT eval. And I'm saying that for the pediatric population. So most of those kiddos, if they're in a school, the school has to pick, from what I understand, and I don't know if this is um, the same in every state, maybe you know, I don't know. Um, the school has to pay for the eval with the ENT. And so the school's not going to want to do that, but I could not and will not in good conscience treat a kid that has a voice disorder unless we get an instrumental because so many times I will hear stories of a kid getting treated for nodules. They think, okay, it's nodules and it's not, it's polyps or it's cysts and there's no way that voice therapy was going to help that mm-hmm. and get rid of that. And so this kid's in therapy for years and the parents have this expectation of, you know, something that's not reality um, when they just needed surgery and then obviously some voice therapy, but it, it just, it bothers me that whatever these schools are, that they're making, you know, the schools are paying for the avowal if the, um, if the speech therapist on staff is saying that they need one. So I feel like that would be kind of coercion for the speech therapist to not qualify that kid or, or to say, yes, I'll go ahead and treat without getting an instrumental exam. You know, right. um, I'd be very open to anybody who's listening to this podcast to message me about that. I'm very interested. I'd be totally open to doing case study on that or, you know, like a, a perspectives article or even a, a research article with surveys for that. I think that's a problem. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And we'll make sure to include your contact information in the show notes, although I'm sure a lot of people know how to find you um, on Instagram. And then your blog is Odd Tempo Voice Center, but we'll share that again at the end. So what does the assessment process look like for voice disorders? And what are your go-to resources? Yeah, so assessment can include what we just talked about, which is instrumental, um, but it can also include, if appropriate, acoustic analysis, aerodynamic analysis, and behavioral evaluation, which behavioral is probably the most common if you're treating voice in a school or in a skilled nursing facility with kind of limited equipment, behavioral, probably your go-to. But there is a brand spanking new, and I say that because it's long, it's it's thorough, it's amazing, and they came out with it last year. Um, it's an open access article from ASHA about best practice for instrumental evaluations. And the DOI for that is 10.1044 slash 2018. So if you look at that, you can find this open access article. And if that doesn't work for you, you know, just message me or we can add that in the show notes too. Um, But assessing this way, peers got together and determined best practice for obtaining these different measures because it varies. Like I think we're all in school when we are in school and we think everybody knows and does the very same thing, but right. it's just not <laughs> true. <laughs> There's variations across clinics, across States, across countries. And like, I'm not using something called the CSL, the computerized speech lab from K Pentax. It's, 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 it's state of the art um, acoustic suite. It's very expensive. It's very nice. It works very well. And there's research to support the measures that are gathered from it. But in the same way, there's a free program called Pratt. And then Yori Marin um, from Belgium has developed scripts that can easily be used with this free program called the scripts are through his company called Phonanium with a pH and their plugins and you download them and you can obtain objective evidence-based measures for improvement um, for really a minimal investment. I think it's excellent. I feel like 
if you don't, if you're a speech pathologist, you feel like you have to send your patient to a voice center to get adequate evaluation, but that really isn't the case. If you take the things that are available and read up a little bit, there's, I mean, his downloads have how-to videos. There's no excuse. It, It makes it easy. Um, And then there's behavioral evaluations. So anyone who's taken a voice disorder class at school might know, and maybe you remember this, the S to Z ratio. Do you remember that in school? Yes, (laughs) it's coming back now. So you're holding out S as long as you can, and you're holding out Z as long as you can, and then you're dividing the two. Um, But is that all you need? I'm actively, I get all of these questions all the time. I'm organizing an assessment resource guide to help with up-to-date ways to assess voice disorders in an adult or a pediatric setting. So that's coming so soon. It's been, I've been working on it for a while just so I can make sure that I am adding what I need to. Cause I, I feel like it's a need. The more people I talk to, the more they're like, I just, I just say if they're rough or not. And I go, and I'm like, seriously? <laughs> so you know, there needs to be some help there. I think something that's easily usable, you know, I'm making something that you can, it's like a checklist that you can go through and then that includes links for further research. So, um, so you can read up cause you want to be a critical thinker. Like I don't make products to, yes, I want ease of use, but you know, I add the research articles so you can go and read up on it and, and learn how to be a critical thinker with that. Um, so it's hard. It's hard to be a jack of all trades. Yeah. And making resources is not easy. So that's amazing that you're working on it. I know people are going to find that so helpful. So I want to kind of backtrack a little bit. I love that you were saying that, you know, you don't need to just refer your patients out to a voice center, especially like if you're a private practice that serves like a variety of patients and across, you know, the lifespan. So if it's someone who's not really familiar, they've never had like a voice patient on their caseload, where should they start? and they get referred one? Yeah, so that's a, an ethics question. So my, my best answer for that is if you do not feel competent treating a voice patient, absolutely you'd want to refer because I would want you to do that if I were your patient. Um, second, if you feel like maybe you need to brush up, you would want to get on the ASHA Special Interest Group 3. There's a ton of resources there. Um, I started my blog not only to teach myself to stay current on the research, but to have an easily digestible thing for people to go to to read so that they can better prepare themselves for seeing patients um, if they haven't seen voice in a while. And I created many of my products. So like the voice in a GIF workbook and the confident clinician video series um, to help demonstrate techniques and have it all in one place. Well, I say that, but it's a good starting point. So like obviously LSVT, you have to get certified. Obviously vocal function exercises, you learn from Joe Stemple. And he's got a great video on MedBridge. It's very accessible. It's it's invaluable, to be honest with you, to like listen to that and to read it. But it sucks because if you haven't gone to a course or um, a, a voice conference, how do you access the training that you might need to help your patient? It's, it's not challenging training at all. You just need to do it. You need to, you know, and it's maybe not easy for somebody to find a mentor. Maybe you're in a rural area and you don't have access to somebody you can go and shadow. So I think those types of resources are out there and um, MedBridge continues to add to that slew of, of voice evaluation. There's a good, good one on vocal cord dysfunction too and differential diagnosis for that and how important differential diagnosis is. So I think just being an avid consumer of those, but then get friendly with PubMed. PubMed has all the journal articles. You can read abstracts. You can read some full access articles. Ash has got some too for you to just try and stay up to date. Um, The informed SLP from what I understand and uh, the med SLP collective. So there've been some things that have been created where you can join like a membership to, and they send you research articles that are clinically applicable. So you don't have to sift through them because like maybe research is scary to you. It used to be scary to me. I was like, this is complicated. These words are big. I don't like this. (laughs) Um, And so uh, these are things where where people are looking at and, and peer reviewing these and saying, here's how these are applicable to you and your clinic, here's a paragraph for you to read, to, for you to decide if you want to read this whole article or not. So okay. 
things are are improving in that way. So those are that's obviously not the end all be all for for voice education, but um, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. But that's a good place to start. Okay, great. And then in terms of assessment. You said that that S to Z ratio, maybe using the Pratt software, is one of the components of the assessment. Can you just highlight those again or summarize those? Oh, yeah, yeah. So for acoustics, you definitely want to make sure you are recording a connected speech sample. It's like the rainbow passage. You can do high notes, like you want to get a, a voice range profile. So you would say, how high can you go? How low can you go? And then find a semitone range. And that's part of the assessment packet. I'm going to include um, like formulas for that. Cause you look at the formulas and you're like, oh, it's math. I didn't become a speech pathologist <laughs> because I'm good at math. Um, but like, I make it, I'm trying to make it really easy that. And then finding um, maximum loudness level. Um, that's what this, uh, that open access article I was talking about earlier from ASHA that goes into detail, like what you need to obtain from an acoustic eval but it doesn't necessarily give you like a template to do so. And that's what right. I'm trying to create is like an easy to use template, but that, and then finding without getting too hairy detail with it, acoustic measures that you can use to mark progress. So if you're using k Taxes CSL, you're going to get a CSID number that measures hoarseness and it takes into account jitter and shimmer. So those may be familiar terms, but we've moved away from jitter and shimmer for acoustics because it only accounts for sustained vowel. So like, ah, but maybe my patient sounds great going, ah, but then when they talk, they sound like this. Hmm. So uh, acoustic voice quality index. So Kepstral peak prominence um, goes into uh, the, that AVQI reading that Yuri Marin has done a lot of and, and colleagues. I'm not potentially you know, specifically trying to leave anybody out. He just, he's been doing the more recent articles on it. And you're finding that and you can objectively measure data with that AVQI number that takes into consideration um, capture peak prominence and as a, as a marker of hoarseness or, or marker of no hoarseness, which is a good thing, um, but the connected speech and the sustained vowel for that number. So I, I pull that for acoustics. And then for aerodynamics, um, you have options to either use the, uh, the PAS from um, from K-Pentax where it's a pneumotachograph and you're putting it on the, the person's face to take aerodynamic measures. Or there's a low tech option um, where you can use a spirometer and there's some formulas you can do based on some research as well for um, finding phonation quotient and estimated mean flow rate, which um, I will also include those formulas in that um, packet. So, but the, I mean, the formulas are also in this, these research articles too. So it's not like you can't get them. It's just, where do you look for them? So, right. um, Anyway, that's that's what aerodynamic would be. And it, yes, S to Z ratio is aerodynamic, like your is air only, but an S to Z ratio on its own is not an aerodynamic assessment. Like you have to provide something with measures that you can you can objectively have that are talking about, you know, vital capacity and things like that. Does that answer that question? It does. Yeah. Thank you. No, that was a great summary. And again, looking forward to your resource because it's nice that it'll synthesize all of that into a template that somebody can use. So what considerations should SLPs keep in mind when treating voice disorders to know when a patient is ready to be discharged? Okay. So you really have to think about patients should always kind of be in the forefront of your mind when you begin a treatment plan regarding their goals. And so you always want to ask them what they want. I like to hear it in their own words. And I usually will ask that verbally in an evaluation. I will say, what do you want me to do for you? That needs to be in your mind as well when determining when it's appropriate for discharge. So like for a pediatric patient, let's say these types of conversations need to be had with the family, um, but also a strong knowledge from you as they're treating SLP to do what's best for the child. So for instance, the kid's not going to outgrow the voice disorder. They're likely always going to benefit from vocal health, vocal hygiene education. Um, and then knowing that most of what you do in the therapy room isn't what makes the improvement. It's the carryover at home. Mm -hmm. So your discharge idea should definitely be based on how well the parents are involved in the sessions and how much they're implementing at home and how much they're just saying that they're doing it. So that's why I created all of those voice therapy games that I have available for download because I send those home all the time. I will send them with the game. They'll practice it at home. And that gives them something that's fun 
that's a task and it's not like, well, be better about your voice or try not to scream or, you know, do your humming, uh, do your straw sounds. They actually have a game. They sit down. It's fun. And they can practice actually dosing themselves with that behavior. So it's, it's better. It's better than just sitting at home with a checklist. For adult, so for discharge, you for that you would just have to you know determine what the goal is. Is the goal getting the lesions gone? So like you, the most common disorder in peds is is vocal uh, nodules. Is I'm saying with that. So like, are the nodules gone for one, or is the kiddo on a path to where they look better each time we're scoping? Is their voice rest? Are, are they very? Do they adhere to that voice rest? How knowledgeable are they about their own system? And you would make decisions based on that. Um, also, with nodules, you, it's time. You know, maybe you've taught the kid a lot; they're doing well independently. And maybe you take a hiatus from voice therapy for a few months and then revisit and, and see how the kid's doing. Um, I do that all the time with adults. Adults are slightly different. I mean, this is usually a lot sooner of a discharge than a pediatric patient. So, the adult comes motivated. They have work life and they can be finished in as soon as four to six once weekly sessions of traditional voice therapy. I always ask each session, how does your voice sound? You know, how close are you to meeting your goals? Obviously maybe not the first or second if we're really if we're still teaching, but you know, by session three, I'm I'm very specifically saying how much is what I'm teaching you helping you to recognize your own habits, helping you to change them and how independent do you feel with that? So for discharge for a, an adult, a lot of times they lead it. They'll say, you know, I like you. This has been really <laughs> fun. And I'm like, yeah, it's a sad day today, isn't it? Um, but sometimes um, cancer might be an issue, right? Um, you want to maybe granuloma is present, which is that's a, a gnarly looking lesion on the back part of the vocal cord called the vocal process. And it's, a, it's like a contact ulcer. And so from the vocal cords adducting or coming together, they tissue can get irritated. Causal, there's a couple of causal factors for that, but, but treatment for that is tricky because sometimes they come back, even if they're surgically removed. So perhaps the patient knows everything to do vocally, um, but then needs surgery and then your care post-op, you know, to make sure they're having voice rest, make sure that they're doing that. So it all really depends on the patient's goals, the surgeon's goal, you know, the type of disorder as well. And like I said earlier, you can take a break. Like I had a gender spectrum patient not too long ago and um, they weren't practicing. And I said, you know, what is keeping you from practicing at home? And they, you know, they weren't, they weren't attending work as themselves. They were still the gender that, that um, they felt they needed to be for society or what they were gendered at birth. And then you know, 20% of their time, they were actually able to use the voice we were working on. And so I said, you know, let's take a break. So six months later, I hear back from this person, got let go from their job and had to interview for a new job and could do so as themselves. And that was something I could not do for them. I could not make them feel that pressure. <laughs> so, right. so because of that, they came back, we had like maybe four or five sessions once a week and a successful, successful discharge for that person. So, you know, it's totally fine to take a hiatus. Don't feel like you're a bad clinician. It's just, you need to know when to refer on, um, or back to the doctor at discharge too. Like maybe you're seeing a patient, they're not doing well. You've exhausted your, your bag of tricks. What do you do now? Do you keep them on for a year? No. You send them back to the doctor like, hey, this isn't working. Maybe it's me. Maybe they need surgery. Maybe they need a different speech pathologist. I don't know. Um, So don't feel like you're a bad therapist if you're doing something like that. That's what's doing best for your patient. You know, if I were your patient, I would want you to try your stuff. It didn't work. Don't feel too proud to to send me back to my doctor. Absolutely. I love those examples. So thank you for sharing those. And you said that, you know, with the pediatric population, sometimes you have to periodically go in with the scope. How does that work with children? Do they have to be put to sleep or most of the time are they able to be awake? How does that work? That's a great question. So for video stroboscopy, the patient needs to be awake. So we can actually see the vocal cords in slow motion. I have scoped 
a kid as young as five successfully with a rigid scope. Um, So it can be done. We have a numbing spray that's available to us um, that you can use as well. When you're doing flexible through the nose, it's very uncomfortable for the patient. Um, So I think it depends on the skill of the person doing that. I prefer rigid because I see better the views close. Like it just, it's a better view in my opinion. Um, and so if I can do that, I will, but it's a kid, it just, it's kid based. Like if the kid's squirmy, if they don't like you, I'm always super fun. I'm a fun scope gal. Like <laughs> I'll let you touch it. I'll let you shine the light in your mouth. I'll let you, you know, shine it on my face. Like I like to let them touch the scope and handle it before I complete the exam. But you just, you want to know. And, and most of the time, if it's a young patient, like I used to office in an ENT office and, and you would hear the kids screaming and I'd know that's when the doctors, you know, stuck the scalp through their nose. Cause they're just, so it's a quick thing, but yeah, you know, I, you know, five and up successful for that. Okay. I think when I was in private practice, I had a set of twins. One of them was diagnosed with vocal nodules from the ENT. She was three years of age. So yeah. I always wondered, like, how did they do that? Oh They've got the, the numbing stuff for the nose, which I don't have in my clinic. So they, you know, the ENT, if it's a younger patient, I'm going to definitely send to ENT for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, to look with that scope. So uh, it's, it's not fun. I, I don't feel com- personally, I just don't feel comfortable doing a, a, a flex scope on a kid younger, you know, a young kid. So yeah. it's just, you know, you know, your limitations as a clinician and you're going to refer when appropriate for that three years old with nodules. So very interesting. Yeah. We can talk more about that one. Oh yeah. After today, but I think your new hashtag should be fun scope gal. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Writing it down right now. <laughs> So you started a Tempo Voice Center and a mobile voice and swallowing evaluation company. You are like the ultimate SLP boss called uh, Voice Diagnostics. So what was the process like for starting not one, but both private practices? Okay. So I started on Tempo when I had the idea. So that was you know, anybody out there wanting to start a business, like it always is conceptualized, right? You have this idea, you have this, this kind of want. Um, when I was in school, I always had an interest in wanting to work for myself. We actually had a, a couple people come and talk to our graduate, our graduate school class um, about entrepreneurship. I think it was grad school. I, if it was undergrad, we have an amazing program, <laughs> but I, I really think it was grad school. And I was actually thinking about this the other day because um, when my patient said, my friend told me I had to go to a tempo. I smiled inside because I thought how funny it would have sounded if, if I had gone with another name, you know, for my business. Right. I can't remember. I think I, I thought about Crescendo. So like maybe I would have been Crescendo is my name. <laughs> but, um, but I incorporated and then I waited. Like I slowly got things together. I was working at an, a long-term acute care hospital at the time. I had a kid. I started doing one person for private practice and then an opportunity presented itself that I had to had to jump on. I hooked up with an ENT group and then I wanted to provide therapy services there too. And once I got that established, I was really happy. And then almost two years ago, I decided to make the leap into private practice with my own space. And it really wasn't a decision that I think that I would have made had some things not lined up that way. And, um, you know, it, I didn't start the company or both companies saying, I'm going to start these businesses and I'm going to be a successful. I mean, yeah, you have that in the back of your mind, but it takes so long to get to a certain place. Like you, you constantly have to work. And I look back all the time and I think, okay, I can't believe I'm here. You know, it's just very interesting. And it's, it's, it's awesome. It's just, it depends on your goal. My goal was to create a place in Fort Worth where we could provide excellent boutique voice care for singers, for professional voice users, which that includes, you know, judges, preachers, teachers, you know, phone operators, like tons of people use their voice for a living that you don't even think about. And I wanted to bring voice science to that and, you know, make an impact in our community. So if I 
if I can see people, I feel like I'm making that impact versus just managing a bunch of speech therapists. So I don't think you'll see a bunch of odd tempos popping up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just, it's not what I wanted. That's so cool though. And I like how you kind of narrowed it down too for your practice. Um, Yeah. So let's get into our game. I am so happy because I was like, I need to do something special for Christy. She's an amazing singer. Maybe I can get her to sing and together with this idea. So I'll let you kind of explain it since it was mostly yours. And I'm I'm probably going to be terrible at it, but I'm so excited. No, I think you'll be great. So we're going to do straw foundation. Is that right? Yeah, straw phonation. So sound out the straw with air. Okay. Some people say it's humming through a straw. I'm like, sure, but it's it's an ooh sound through a straw. And if, if I tell people sing through the straw, sometimes they try and actually mouth the words to the straw. And I'm like, that's not it either. It's the ooh ooh sound or straw humming, but nothing comes out your nose. Okay. So you wouldn't think straw phonation is a tech, very technical thing, but there are lots of things where a patient could go wrong. Okay. <laughs> so, don't swallow the straw. So, yeah. Do not swallow and don't lodge it in your eye or nose. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll let you go first. I feel like that'd okay. be a good example. All right. So here is the first guessing tune and everyone who's listening, y'all can play along too and see if you can guess it before Vanita guesses it. Okay. Um, and then the same for me too. Okay. So here we go. You know it. Do I stop you? Okay. It's yeah, stop me. Is it Bruno Mars? Yes, it's Bruno okay. Mars. All right, but I forgot the name of the song. I know it's like because you're amazing, just the yeah, way you are. Just the way you are. Yeah. Okay. Go, yeah. girl. Yeah. Awesome. Mine are going to be much more juvenile. <laughs> so get ready, guys. This is going to take a lot of talent right here. Yay. Ready. <laughs> <laughs> my husband is like why are you so deep <laughs> oh, that is mary had a little lamb good job yay oh i love this okay okay so here's the next one okay okay so one and one okay so here's this yeah what is it um old town road yes old i was town actually road. gonna try to do that one but i was like i tried it <laughs> it did not work so thank you for doing that one now it's gonna be stuck in everyone's head because the podcast will end and then the earworm will set in you're welcome i hope or it's I'm yours sorry. and not Mary had a little lamb or the other ones. That I'm doing. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, ahead of time, guys. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, this has been a blast. So I'm sure everybody knows about you, but if not, where can I find you and connect with you? Yeah. So you can find me lots of places. Um, my main website for my blog and one of my storefronts is www.atempovoicecenter.com and you spell that A-T-E-M-P-O. And also on Teachers Pay Teachers, you just search Atempo Voice Center. On Instagram, I am at Christy underscore voice, and that's K-R-I-S-T-I-E, and you can follow me there for very entertaining voice science in my stories and feed, and you will not be disappointed. No, you won't. (laughs) Constantly, (laughs) constantly collaborating and doing all sorts of fun things, but it's, you know, it's voice science where you can digest it, and you don't have to be stuck staring at a computer screen and you know, sifting through research papers, um, facebook.com slash Autempo Voice Center, and then also youtube.com slash C slash Autempo Voice Center. So I have my own um, URL tag for the, for the YouTube thing. So, and then you can, my emails on autempovoicecenter.com, you can shoot me an email or, or shoot me a DM on, on Instagram or, or Facebook. So um, yeah, find me everywhere. Yeah, definitely follow her on Instagram if you're on Instagram. I feel like it's, like you said, it's very speech science-y, but you make it very practical for people and you synthesize the most recent research. So thank you yeah. for 
doing such an awesome job sharing all that is voice with our community. And I look forward to following along on your journey and um, until next time. Thanks so much. This was such a pleasure and such a treat. I feel very honored to be featured and as a guest on your podcast. Thank you for participating in SLP Live. Remember that listening to this pod course does not automatically guarantee ASHA CEUs. If you want to earn up to 0.8 ASHA CEUs for this conference, there is just a small $25 administration fee to process and submit your paperwork. You can pay this administration fee and find more details at slp-live.com. Once your purchase is made, an email will be sent to you containing the course evaluation, feedback survey, and CE paperwork. Please submit these materials by November 9th, 2019 at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. SLB Live would like to thank its sponsors for offering products, services, and or discounts as giveaways to attendees at no charge. You can see a list of these sponsors on the SLP Live website. SLP Live would also like to thank the presenter of this course who has provided her speaking services at no charge. Can't get enough CEUs? MedBridge Continuing Education has offered to give away a premium membership. Yes, a premium membership. You can enter to win by taking a screenshot of this course and sharing it on social media. Use the hashtag SLPLive2019 so we can find you and you don't miss out. The winner will be announced by November 11th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed this very first annual PodCon. Did that work? Yay! There we go. go. Hi! <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, look at those eyelashes. They're oh, so cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired. We did this Halloween party last night and I spent way too long washing off all the skeleton makeup. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so you had three questions. I'll go ahead and like read them and then you can answer. Um, yeah. The first one from Angela said, how do you know which protocol to use when the client has a functional voice disorder? Mm. Um, and then she gave examples. What a great, okay. So functional voice disorder, I'm assuming you can write in Angela, if this is not the answer to that question. Um, functional voice disorder, maybe like muscle tension dysphonia or functional aphonia. I usually am doing stimulability in the session, um, combination of resonant voice humming. So I'll have the patient try, mm, I'll have the patient try mm, through a straw. I'll have them do mm, a lip trill or a tongue trill if that's not getting anywhere, sometimes I'll even have them gargle or throat clear <clears throat> to see if I can get some sort of voice to occur. And then I'll, I'll shape that. And if I still can't get anything, I will do laryngeal reposturing. So I'll push back on the hyoid bone. And if they're usually, if they're tight like this, pushing back on that bone's going to help move the larynx and keep that tension from occurring so you can try and get some sort of voicing. But that varies patient to patient. Um, you just, you try the things that you, that you know might work um, and just try and get, because usually when they can hear their voice, they're like, oh, oh, and, and then um, it's, it's, it's affirming to them and then they, they're encouraged to try more. So that's what I would do. Perfect. And then uh, Angela, I don't know if this was more of a comment. She said, I agree on the frequency of what a patient comes in for and what they see with video stroboscopy, especially with mild vocal fold paralysis. Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot. You get um, ENT exam that will say, here's some reflux medication. It's reflux. And the patient comes in and I say, there's a little bit of something going on here with the motor movement. Can you see for yourself? Let's get that report back to the doctors in the video so they can look at it as well. Um, because it's not all in your head. A lot of times they'll go and they'll go to the ENT and, and the ENT will say, well, I, I see this. And they're like, why are you giving me this medication? Um, but if, if they can see, oh, this isn't all, I'm not crazy, right? I, there's something physically going on that just couldn't be seen. It's, I think it's very helpful um, and soothing to the patient to know that they were right, that something was going on. Perfect. And then the last one from Samantha says, so are the exercises such as semi-occluded vocal tract beneficial for kiddos with nodules? 
Yes, absolutely. That is usually where I start um, is straw phonation with little kiddos and it'll either be um, with, I just have these here because I'm still at the clinic. Um, it'll be with water. Pulling the straw out of the water and continuing that straw sound. Um, I was just at, I'm glad I have this next to me. Um, I was just at the fall voice conference and I was listening to um, Lisa Kelchner um, and she was talking about pediatric therapy and I can't believe I hadn't thought of this before or done a product for it which I'm going to now um, bubbles so you blow like bubbles like you have in the therapy room anyway and you have them ooh, vocalize with an easy ooh while making the bubbles so you're having them get visual feedback I have airflow Ooh, you have voice going as well um, and that that flow phonation usually I do that with a tissue for stretch and flow um, where you're tearing, I'm really glad y'all can see me right now, this is helpful, um, where you're tearing a tissue and you're going, Ooh, so they can see that easy phonation, um, but, but just as, as appropriate as semi-occluded vocal tract, the flow phonation is, is equally, um, as important, and there is new research to support that, um, that that is helpful, the stretch and flow, Chris Watts and, and, Amy Hamilton and um, Leslie Childs, they, there was a huge study a few years ago about um, efficacy for stretch and flow for, for that. So yeah, does that answer your question? I hope. Yeah, I think that was a great example. And then there was just a nice comment that said, like, we were having a lot of fun. We did have a lot of fun. And like I said, we were trying to shorten that for you guys because I'm like, we had a little too much fun at the end. Um, and it I went on. Yeah, I must have put the original <laughs> clip in here. So I'm like, oh, we need to cut this. Um, so we're 10 minutes um, past. Thank you guys for understanding. We have yes, thank giveaway you. announcements. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm going to announce the winners. Perfect. You're going to tell me. Let me, um, you know what I'm going to do before you share? I'm going to share my screen again because okay. when, whoever we announce as the winner, I would like you guys to um, just kind of look at the different options that we have available. This is like shopping for giveaways and you get to pick like three, um, companies that you would like, which would be your top picks. And then just like email, uh, info at slp-live.com. I'll put it in the chat. So if one of the winners is on here, you know, we'll reach out to you guys either via social media or email. Um, but if you're on here and you won, then you can automatically go ahead and just email me your top three choices. So without further ado, I'll let you go ahead and announce them, Christy. All right. Okay. So the first winner, there are five winners. The first winner tonight is all about that communication. Okay. The second winner tonight is tandem speech. Yay, awesome. Third winner is speaking right from the heart, and that's right with a W. Perfect. Yay. Um, the fourth winner is Paola D. SLP. So you can email Vanita at the email address she said a second ago. And the final winner um, for the freebies tonight is So Sophia Speech. Awesome. Thanks for sharing those. I feel like we should have had like a bell or something like going for each of them. And we have like 12 total giveaway. I mean, you guys can see all the companies here. So the giveaways are not done. Um, we just wanted to like for anybody that attended the live to kind of, you know, treat you guys because you've been hanging out with us all week. And then if you happen to listen to the replays, we'll have more giveaways towards the end of the conference, which ends November 9th. So this is like, I might cry. I'm so sad. This was so much fun. <laughs> I can't believe and you put this all together. Like you're, you're impressive, amazing, driven. I'm so impressed by you. Well, I thank you. Die. I keep saying that this would not be possible without all of the different players. So thank you guys. Thank you, especially for helping out and making this happen. And it's been awesome. I loved learning from you, learning more about voice. And I hope you guys did too. So Thank you for attending SLP Live. And if you guys have any questions, you know where to find me via email or via social media. And thanks, Christy, for hopping on with us tonight. It's been such a pleasure, Anita. Good night, you guys. Good night, everybody. Night-night. Do you know the number one reason this podcast keeps going? It's because of your positive reviews. I promise I read every single review and even do a little happy dance. 
and sometimes cry, but always think, yes, this is still helping someone. So if you found this episode to be helpful at all, can you do me a favor and take a screenshot or leave a positive review? That helps the podcast in so many ways I can't even begin to describe. But to start, it helps to spread the word and get more inspirational guests on the show. It also encourages me to keep showing up and serving you so you can stop reinventing the wheel and start feeling part of a larger SLP community. Not to mention, I will be your best friend forever. So if you've taken the time to leave a positive review, or if you've taken a screenshot and shared it with your friends on social media, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's because of you that this podcast continues to grow and keep going. Thank you.